Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Drivers Meeting Podcast, presented by Bet Online. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast presented by Bet Online. July is underway and it's a great month for sports. And if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you can find it. MLB All Star Game tonight in the NBA Finals as well, uh, as well as hockey playoffs. The Stanley Cup has just ended. Congratulations to Tampa Bay Lightning on their Stanley Cup. Uh, as a Tampa native, uh, we were very happy about that. So, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So, make sure to visit their website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before your next tip off, face off, or pitch, head over to Bet Online and start playing today bet online your online sportsbook experts so it was a bit of a, a, a exciting weekend but sad weekend because it's the last weekend of our current uh pavement on atlanta uh we talked about it a little bit last weekend now we've gotten a lot of of driver input this week uh on maybe the lack of driver input uh for what they're doing to the track um but overall it was the last weekend for that current pavement we had an xfinity race um and a cup race that i thought were both were pretty good so as a driver, just first off, Tommy Joe, I mean, last time on the pavement there at Atlanta, how, how was it for you guys as a team? It was great. Uh, we had a really good car. That helps. Uh, a lot of fun. Stayed in the top 20 all day, uh, up inside the top 15 for, and I, and I had the stats to back me up here for uh, about 40% of the race. We were We were inside the top 15. So that tells me, we had a pretty pretty solid run. Um, I really like tracks like that, worn out tracks. Uh, we got to really manage tire wear. Uh, people have heard me talk on the pod plenty about how I feel like that is what stock car racing is: is that managing of tire wear uh, over the course of a long run. Um, so, you know, with that being said, uh, it is sad to see um, that that will now we're going to have one less of those, right? Uh, Atlanta's due for a repave. We all know this. We saw what happened in the cup race on Sunday. Track can't part. It's really old. It, it needs to be repaved. We, we're all in agreement uh, where I think the disagreement has happened between management and drivers and fans and kind of the other side of this is the how it's getting repaved um, and, and the thought process behind that. So, uh for us, as competitors in the Xfinity Series, with with a really uh, good race car and, and a good uh, package to race, uh, I feel like um, we put on a, a good race. Uh, 
obviously I would have wished that we would have had more long runs. Yeah. Um, I wish the race was, was 400 miles long, <laughs> but uh, that, that would have probably played in our hands a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, we got more short runs um, on the Martins Motorsports side of things. We got bit a little bit by tire strategy. We got a little bit off with everybody else. And we were actually stuck a lap down running 28th and, and needed those last couple of cautions to kind of get back. Uh, we got penalized big time for staying out on uh, on some older tires, trying to save a set. And that kind of backfired on us. Uh, just not that, that would have been real disappointing if we had finished 27th after running in the top 15 for a, for a decent chunk of the day. So uh, to rebound, to finish 16th, that was a consolation prize. When you start 25th on a restart with two to go and finish 16th, you, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> but tire, tires do a lot there in Atlanta. Uh, I just wish I had gotten a few more spots. Yeah, I was I was a little bit worried there. I was looking and I was like, oh man, like, you know, I got caught up and everyone was on some different tire strategies and stuff like that. So you guys get stuck back there. But then that caution, which I believe was the one where Hemrick uh, got pushed up into the wall. I think that was the one right off the restart. Um, it was either one of them. There was a few restart wrecks, like, you know, they usually have. Yeah, so there, there was one with about 15 to go, RJ. And, and that's, yeah, that's where we took the wave around. Because at that point, we were just kind of hoping for a caution. I was actually three wide for the battle for the lucky dog uh, with uh, Myatt Snyder and Jesse Little. And so that would have made it a little easier. But we took the wave around. Now we go green. Immediate crash. That's the one with Brandon Brown and Kyle Weatherman where the the car was stuck in second gear on the front row. Um, So that's unfortunate. I mean, you you don't want something like that to happen. But it basically was for us, it was a lucky break. Basically, it was a caution as soon as we took the green. So then we were able to come in and put on our tires. And I was thinking we were going to get a six lap shootout there with me having fresh tires against the whole field. And I was like, man, we're about to drive up to the top 10 right here in six laps, or at least have a, a chance at it. We were going to have to come from 31st to uh, <laughs> to the top 10 in six laps. That would have taken some, some uh, pretty aggressive maneuvering, but obviously tires are such an advantage there. And then there was another quick caution, and that was the one with Hemrick. So that essentially cut my my chances down uh, to a two lap deal, which I passed a few guys on the first one, and then and then passed uh, eight or nine of them there in the last last uh, two laps that we had. So yeah, I wish if we'd had like an eight lap run or a ten lap run, I'd have been sitting here going, "Man, could we win?" You know, but that's uh, that's not how it played out. And there was a story right before that race with Michael and that not being able to compete in the race and they were scrambling for a driver replacement. And at first, you know, I was looking, I'm just, you know, following on Twitter here at home and I'm seeing, you know, Josh, Josh Berry, Jordan Anderson, you know, looking at guys and then I see at the very bottom, BJ McLeod is also in consideration fitting into the seat, trying to sell. I was like, Oh, no way. I was, I mean, everyone was hoping we would see BJ McLeod in the one car of ultimately, I guess, Austin Dillon just happened to be there and, and fitted better into Michael and seat. And then he ended up running the race, got a P11 finish, but man, I mean, what if you can always just think, what if, if we saw BJ McLeod wheeling a, a junior motorsports car? Well, this is what has to happen uh, for guys on our side of the garage to get that chance that redefines your career. It it takes some sort of outstanding circumstance uh, very oftentimes for for this to happen. Um, With DiBenedetto, with, uh, you know, with Ryan Priest, 
who we've talked to here on the pod, uh, with uh, Alex Bowman, uh, with Ross Chastain. It, it takes these almost uh, bad break for somebody else, and here's your one. Here's your chance for the guy that's on the underfunded side, and, and for BJ. Uh, I obviously I heard about the Austin Dillon thing before I heard about the BJ McLeod thing, right? So it was already settled by the time I found out that BJ was an option. So I didn't have the the oh my gosh, what if? It was it kind of had already happened. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was so amazing of BJ to to say that he was he was honored to just be considered, yeah. uh, which is such a that's such a BJ line. Uh, but it also tells you a lot about what kind of person the, the guy is. Um, that was such a validating moment, I'm sure, for him. And he would probably never say this. Uh, he's always been confident in his own abilities. But when you're driving for a smaller team, that, that's the thing that, for me, I have struggled with the most. So allow me to project a little bit here how validating that must have been for him to see Dale Earnhardt Jr., and, and, and this top-level team, a championship-level team, look to him as a, a potential fill-in replacement when, when they know they could offer that to anybody yeah. and they looked at at him um, as the person to go to. I, th- I think that's tells you a lot about what the garage feels about B.J. McLeod. And, and judging by the fan response and everybody on social media, uh, I feel like a lot of others feel the same way. Yeah, it's, it's just about getting those opportunities. I mean, that's how it starts with, you know, with, like you mentioned, Ross Chastain's situation, just getting, I mean, from driving, everybody had recognized his talent, just like we recognized BJ McLeod's talent, but he finally got the opportunity thrown into the 42 for Chip Ganassi and bam, went out and won a race, finished runner up and did a whole bunch of stuff in that car. And that ultimately led to his opportunities that he has now. And then someone else who's been, you know, it's like, fishing for getting opportunities is, is Ty Dillon who ran this weekend, got a fifth place finish in the 23 for our motorsport. Great weekend for their team. Cause Brett Moffitt finished right behind him in sixth. So a uh, great run for Ty Dillon. And he was talking about uh, last week about trying to get more races uh, with gone brothers racing or just anybody really at this point, um, you know, and, and we've talked about Ty Dillon. He's still young. He's still, you know, with everyone portrays him as like this old veteran guy. That's kind of just like at the end, like he's still young. He's, he wants to race. Um, I mean, do you think just any, any seat time uh, we talk about that, any seat time for Ty Dillon is good for him as far as looking for next year. And it's proof that the hour motorsports car is a good quality car yeah. that he's getting in. Um, they have at times struggled this year uh, with their second car. Moffat has been pretty consistent in the first car all year, uh, but that second car, and, and that's going to happen when you're rotating through a lot of drivers, right? So this is not on the team. This is just the situation of multiple drivers in a car over the year. Um, and, and with Ty coming in, a lot of stability, a lot of experience, and clearly proves that he belongs like on this stage, probably on the highest stage, probably at the cup level. I feel like he's proved that he belongs there. And I think this is what bleeds into a little bit of frustration from fans when we're able to see somebody like Ty Dillon be in the Xfinity series, getting limited opportunities when you're going, okay, well, I know he probably belongs racing on Sundays, 
So what's going, <laughs> what's going on with this? Like with a guy like Al Geyer, who I look at and say, okay, there's another person that, that should be racing on Sunday. Clearly an incredibly talented race car driver. The talent's there, the sponsorship's there. They look at it as a choice for the money and the sponsorship that they have. They feel like it gets a bigger impact being at the front of the field in Xfinity than in the middle of the field in Cup. And so that's a decision that they're making, right? to stay in Xfinity versus be in the Cup Series because everybody knows the talent level's there. So Ty Dillon right now is in the stage where he's kind of taking what he can get in these moments. And it's not really about where you deserve to be or where you belong. It's just what's out there. <laughs> where, where are the opportunities? And it's cool to see Ty take advantage of an opportunity there at a place that I would consider a driver's track, Right. So Ty and Brett both showed all day. They were consistently around inside, just outside of that top 10 uh, running order. Um, at times, I got to race around Ty a little bit there at the beginning of the, of the race and then, you know, really didn't see him anymore. So I guess he's had a pretty good race and was up there and, and was a factor there at the end. Yeah. So I want to talk about this Xfinity playoff battle real quick, because there's a lot of implications now with Michael Annette, you know, missing Atlanta and yes. he won't be back this weekend at New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, Josh Berry will be in for him. So he did get a playoff waiver uh, as for, you know, having that unfortunate injury. He'll get a waiver for the playoffs, but he's only 59 above the cut right now. And as someone who's below that we've been looking at to kind of spark a little Riley Herbst, he's 54 below. Clemens is the one on the cut, but we assume this weekend that Clemens will jump over a net uh, pretty significantly. He's only five points behind him. So you have Herbst down there, 54 back. Brandon Brown, you know, is very capable of having a great run. 50 only yeah. 56 back and then ryan sieg still lingering back there at 94 back so it'll be interesting to watch i wouldn't expect annette to because we it's a good thing we have this two-week break after new hampshire um hopefully he doesn't you know miss any races after that i'm sure he will be back but it will definitely shake off the playoffs a little bit and make it a little bit more closer than we thought it would so it'll be interesting to see what happens here i mean as you look at the playoff grid uh, above, uh, you know, you have Clemens who really started off incredible. You know, th that team was great. And I think they, they had a pretty great, they showed a lot of speed um, at Atlanta as well. So it's really right now it's a battle between, you know, Clemens, Annette, Herbst and Brandon Brown, I would say, and Ryan Sieg, a wild card. And anyone below that's a wild card as well in that same category. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be picking up, especially this weekend in New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, I think, the person there that breathed the biggest sigh of relief is probably Jeremy Clements. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's the one that now and deservingly so looks like he is probably a lock for the playoffs. Um, it's going to be really tough with the way that they're running. And like you said, the speed they showed there at Atlanta around the top 10 all day, uh, finished sixth, I believe is where he finished sixth or seventh eight maybe it was inside the top 10 i know that uh, so yeah it looks like he is kind of stuck as a playoff driver now and very well deserved right so now we got to look at who would kind of be the next one in that spot and and there's a group of drivers and you mentioned them now with the annette you know myatt snyder is locked in you know, with the with the one win, like if we're doing this just based on points and I'm looking at it here based on points, 
This is purely points, not the playoff standings. Um, and, and I'm remembering kind of the breakdown here. But Clements is 11th purely on points. But he's going to get jumped by Myatt Snyder, who has a win from earlier in the year, right? Okay. So Clements, I think, is now the one breathing the sigh of relief. Technically, he's five points behind Michael Annette. He's going to he's going to jump him. It's probably not going to be enough races, though, RJ, to like significantly swing this because it's probably going to be a net missing Atlanta, New Hampshire, and then we'll see, right? Yeah. And so we're probably going to come back, go to Watkins Glen, Indy. What I would say there, though, is Clement's really strong on these road courses, and that is not Michael Annette's strength. That probably plays to Jeremy Clements, you know, benefit. And at that point, now you're only looking at five races to go before the playoffs. Three of them are Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol. And those are really strong suits for Jeremy Clements. So I think he's looking at this and going, and then the other one is Daytona. <laughs> so that's he just stays out of trouble there and he's probably dodging a big bullet where that can be a big swing race for Michael Annette with those junior motorsports cars so fast. That could be a, a win type of race for Michael Annette. He has won on a super speedway before. So that you're right, that bubble there, who's going to be the 12 hole? That's something you and I were talking about in January, dude. Yeah. We were saying, who's going to be number 12 in this? And I felt like it was pretty much locked up that it was going to be chalk. I didn't think Jeremy Clements was going to make the playoffs this year. I figured Jeremy Clements and Brandon Brown would really be fighting over 13th. Yeah. And that Riley Herbst and Annette and Brandon Jones and Gregson and Haley and Snyder and all those guys in those top tier rides would, even if they didn't win, point their way into the playoffs with the benefit of stage points and everything else throughout the course of the year. It looks like somebody is going to be on the outside looking in. And that is a spot that none of those 12 drivers want to put themselves into. And, and just looking at it here, if Riley Herbst goes and has a big day at New Hampshire, scores some stage points, gets a top 10, all right, well, that's a potentially a 40-point day. If he goes and has a 30, 40-point day, he's got 391 right now, and Nett's got 450. Let's just chalk it up. Let's say that he does it. Well, now you've got essentially a three-horse race for two spots between Annette and Clements and Herbst because Brandon Brown would have to get – and he's only two points behind the Riley Herbst, right? So really, if Brandon Brown, Riley Herbst can go get a big day at New Hampshire. Annette's going to kind of drop back into their clutches. Jeremy Clements is looking at this the same way. He's got a, he doesn't have to have a spectacular day, but he just needs to have a solid day to put 20, 25 points on Annette here and give himself a little bit of a cushion because only two of those four drivers are going to make it in the playoffs. Just looking at it. Only two of the four are going to make it in the playoffs. So Annette, Clements, Herbst, Brandon Brown, that's going to wind up kind of being the four-horse race here. I think if I had to predict this right now, I'm probably going to say it's going to be Clements 
And at that point, it's probably going to come down to Annette V. Herbst for the for the last spot. And, and both of those guys are in cars fast enough they could win a race. Here's a weird one for you. Riley Herbst, pretty good on two-mile tracks, and we're going to Michigan. Like, he had a great run for Joe Gibbs when they were over there at California. I mean, spectacular run. Could have won the race against Harrison Burton there uh, last year uh, before the pandemic. So we're going to go to some tracks here where Riley can go have some big runs. I think it's going to wind up being a showdown between Riley and Annette when he comes back. Already been granted that playoff waiver, and we're going to have to see how that battle shakes out. Brandon Brown, it, he he's probably sitting here screaming at the <laughs> listening to this podcast. Brandon, I love you. I know you're only two points behind Riley. Yes, you absolutely could go do that. But what this is really a question about, RJ, is stage points. This is we're looking at it and we're going, all right, Watkins Glen, Indianapolis, Michigan, Daytona, Daunton, Richmond, Bristol. Stage points. Who can get stage points down the stretch? And let's just say you could get five a race. All right. Well, that's eight rate. That's 40 points. That could be the difference in getting in and getting out of this playoff situation. Yeah. And I look at two guys back there. You talk about heading to Daytona, um, two guys. I know one team that always seems to do that go big or go home type strategy. And that's the 39 team, Ryan Sieg back yeah. there. I don't think realistically yeah. they could point their way in. Um, yeah, and right I, now, just so everybody's listening to this and kind of understands Ryan Sieg, 351 points, Riley Herbst, Brandon Brown, 391, 389. So he's sitting about 40 points back of the two of them right now. That, yeah. That's a pretty big gap. Yeah, and 94 from from the cut overall. So he's got a lot of ground to make up. We still have some races left to go. You never know how much they could come on. But then, you know, Daytona. Daytona, so unpredictable. And that's still a few races, you know, unlike the Cup Series. For the Cup Series, uh, you know, for those who would get confused. The cup series is that's the cutoff race Daytona for the playoffs. As for the Xfinity series, they had Daytona and then three races and then the playoffs. So after Daytona, it's still Darlington, Richmond, Bristol, great, you know, three crop of tracks right there, but Daytona, you're still looking, you know, that O2 team of Brett Moffitt is must win. I mean, they probably knew that as soon as Brett Moffitt converted his points over to the Xfinity series, like, okay, we're got to go and win. And they could, I mean, Daytona, they have, they've had strong enough cars. The race that I always go back to is Homestead that they really, he really had a chance to win that race. Um, and, and even he, he really could have, if he didn't hit the wall, Jason Gregson, cause we all know what happened to Gregson after that, unfortunately. Yeah. And he would have been in the lead basically at that point. So we know that they're and capable. Tyler Reddick almost won in the other hour motorsports exactly. car that day. So they have clearly shown speed at those worn out racetracks. All right, looking at that little stretch, we are going to Darlington. So that could be another one that could play a factor, or Bristol as a track that could play a factor uh, on, on this. And Richmond, another short track uh, with, with the super high tire wear. Uh, so there are definitely some, some races on this thing. I mean, I look at Watkins Glen in Indianapolis, you just kind of have to favor the chalk there. I, I mean, I feel like Cindric and Almendinger have really placed themselves kind of in elite air at these road courses. And, and we know it's probably going to be their show <laughs> up there at the front. So you got to kind of take those off the table. Uh, New Hampshire is going to be a really tough place to pass. It always is. Track position is going to be so critical. 
Um, it's a short track race. It's probably going to play more towards the favorites. Same with Michigan. Yeah. Uh, such a big track, so fast. It's probably going to play to the favorites a little bit more. Uh, tire wear, usually not a huge factor there. But we go to Daytona, Darlington, Richmond, Bristol in a row with the final cut race being at Bristol for the playoffs. Yeah, I think guys are looking at that. If you're Brett Moffitt, he's sitting there going, I got to win to get in. That's my only chance. And I think of the guys here, including myself, from the 20th-ish range that you could see kind of making the Hail Mary win a race, something happened like that. I, you know, I look at a guy like Alex LeBay on a road course. I look at Brett Moffitt on those places, guys that have shown that like top five level speed needed to maybe go win one of these. Um, I just haven't seen that out of Ryan Sieg this year. And that's why it's not that they're bad. Like they're clearly running around the top 10. They're running about the same spot. They just got off to such a bad start to the year, RJ. They dug themselves such a hole. I don't know that they have the speed to climb out of that and jump over, uh, you know, a Brandon Brown, uh, a Riley Herbst, uh, you know, a Michael Annette. I don't know if they can jump them in points, so it's probably going to take a win. And, and I don't think they've shown the elite level speed that you need to win a race. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. And I think one thing that always plays into that is like the extra drivers that are in the race, the extra drivers that we're not thinking about. Kyle Busch, his his races are done, right? He's ran five races, and for what we know, that probably his career in the Xfinity Series is over. So that, you know, when Kyle Busch is in a race, you're always going to factor him as the potential winner. So that's why you kind of have to wait to see what races, who's in what. Like New Hampshire this weekend, didn't really think of anything of it. Christopher Bell is driving the 54 car, and he is basically the reigning winner of the Xfinity Series at that track, winning in 2019. You guys didn't go there in 2020. So Christopher Bell is in that race in the 54. Um, but, you know, that's that's really about it for for this weekend. And we don't know what's going to happen. You know, is like Denny Hamlin going to race Darlington, you know, in the 54. I, th- I think that's already set. I think he's running the Darlington, usually does the next Darlington race um, in the 54. Um, you know, then Richmond and Bristol, anything can happen. And obviously Daytona. So it'll be interesting. I know, uh, Christopher Bell, I know as far as him kind of looking to hit a spark, you know, he won Daytona road course, looked like everything was going super well in the the cup series. And ever since then, it's kind of just been a little bit, you know, mediocre, some, some good races, some better. He's had a good stretch, a few good races, um, getting some momentum in that 20 team, but yeah, now he's back, um, at New Hampshire, probably just seat time uh in the 54 so it'll be interesting to see how much of a competitor is we know how good he was when we had the era of bell versus custer versus reddick uh winning like every race it seemed like so it'll be cool to see him back in the xfinity series but yeah back to the original point it really just i guess depends how many uh these cup drivers extra drivers are entering the race competing for the wins um I know some guys in the playoff bubble maybe don't like to, don't like to see that. They want to get every point they can get, but um, yeah, um, Kyle Busch done in the Xfinity series five races. He went five for five. For now, for let's now. make that really clear. For for, for now, for this <laughs> year, for now, I, I don't see that being a thing. I, I see Kyle Busch still running Xfinity races yeah. in the in the future. I, I don't see that going away, and I don't see. Joe Gibbs Racing getting out of the Xfinity Series 
next year or the year after that even. So, you know, as long as that is still there, they're going to leverage Kyle Busch because he is the barometer for their Xfinity Series program. They understand we plug him in. How much are we going to learn? <laughs> we're going to completely be able to evaluate our equipment. We're going to be able to evaluate what we're doing with him as the measuring stick, as the most successful driver in the history of the series, maybe the sport. With, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's won how many hundred races now? He's run like over 210 yeah. races in NASCAR now. Nice. Yeah, so a whole lot of races. So, yeah, that's a pretty good guy to have in your stable to be able to tell you if you're going the right direction with your cars. Yeah, so let's uh, translate over here to the truck series. So that was very interesting Friday night at Knoxville. Um, <laughs> very interesting <laughs> race. Very, uh, very apt choice yeah. of work. So, there. yeah, so there were a lot of mixed opinions, just like there really has been about everything recently. But Knoxville, um, in my opinion, it, it started off pretty good. Uh, the area of the place, uh, the, the crowd that they brought in, you know, the feel of the event was pr pretty good. Heat races, relatively clean. Um, at the beginning, there were a lot of different grooves on the racetrack to run. Um, but then after that, when all those grooves went away uh, is when, man, everyone just did fit. I felt like I, I can't remember who said it, but if you didn't hit the guy in front of you, the guy behind you was going to move you out of the way. And that's, you know, that's been brought up in other tracks before sometimes too. But the big moment was that giant pileup we had on the one restart where uh, Donnie Schatz got into uh, the 34 truck and man, it, it just broke loose from there. Tons of overtime restarts, finally finished the race. Austin Hill got the win, but Man, what what a what a night! Uh, I mean, what were your thoughts? Were you watching live uh, to see what was going on, and, and what were your thoughts on that Knoxville event? Yeah, so watched it live. <laughs> it was the uh, the race that would never end. Yeah, with the number of <laughs> cautions there um, at the end of it, and that's embarrassing. Allow me to speak for NASCAR drivers as a whole here. When we wreck that much at the end of one of these races, um, it's embarrassing for everybody. Uh, it's embarrassing for NASCAR. And they're going to sit there and say, well, don't speak for us. I'm speaking for everybody that's involved in the industry. That, something like that makes us all look bad. And I'm not aiming it just at the drivers and the cars. It's a situation where it's a win and get in mentality for playoffs combined with uh, a track surface that has clearly deteriorated, combine that with double file restarts and, and, and a combination of a, a truck that is admittedly not perfectly suited to be driving on this surface. And, and talking to some of the drivers after the race, um, like even Moffat, who ran the Atlanta race, and, and I've talked to him about it, before we walked across the stage for driver intros uh, in Atlanta, which as an aside here, glad the driver intros are back. Um, that's a cool part of the pre-race thing that we like doing. So I'm glad that that's kind of, we're, we're slowly getting everything back to normal now. Um, but Moffat said you couldn't stop once you got out of the groove. It wasn't just not being able to turn the truck or it was slick or whatever. No, it's, you couldn't stop the truck. So 
when guys would start on the outside and if somebody did make a mistake or get bumped the wrong way or lose control, nobody else could stop. And now they're just piling in there like it's a figure eight race almost. Um, We've talked about this, RJ. Uh, Okay. Uh, Without going off the handle here on how dumb that got at the end of that race, NASCAR has raced these trucks on dirt now for several years, several years. It's not Knoxville, Iowa's problem. I got to look at us and go, what can we do better to produce a better dirt product? Because right now, for these truck teams, they are not getting paid enough at these races. And nobody wants to hear this, but here we go. To basically completely destroy a truck every time you do a dirt race. It is door top down complete body, which I can tell you it's about fifteen dollars to $20,000 if you take it outside of your shop to get it worked on. Even if you can do it inside your shop, let's just say it's half of that by the time you got you know parts and labor and everything else into it. We're still talking about a pretty sizable investment. Right there, that is more money than it paid to finish second place in the truck race. All right. So this is a losing proposition for these teams. It is bad. So what I think about is like, okay, they're going to sit there and say, we can't pay them more. That's fine. Can't pay them more. Okay. What can we do to potentially help the show? Well, starting 40 trucks probably wasn't the right idea. Probably need to start fewer trucks on these dirt races. We probably need to start 32 trucks. That's why we have the heat races, right? We're going to kind of limit the field, but we're going to give everybody a chance. All right, so there's option one, and it's better. Why why do heat races? This is my joke always about the Daytona 500 and the duels. So I was like, well, we have charters now. Everybody's kind of locked in except for just a couple of guys. So what are we really doing the duels for? What are the qualifying races for? (laughs) Just the tradition of it, I guess, because really it was to set the field and so many people had to make it. But now only a few people have to make it. So that's kind of a weird thing. In these heat races, if you opened it up and said, okay, no, actually, everybody's got to make it in the heats. This is how this works. Or you go to an LCQ. I don't care about your points position. I don't care about any of this kind of stuff. I think that is option one. We can limit the field and also make it unique. All right. So there's, we're close on that. We got to do something to lighten the trucks up. They are very heavy. They're 3,400 pounds. With the driver, we're around 3,600 pounds. This is not good. We don't like this. Or sorry, it's 3,400 pounds with the driver. I'm an idiot. Sorry, I'm thinking about late model rules here. 3,400 pounds with the driver. We don't like that. We can probably get rid of a lot of the lead. We can probably get rid of a lot of that. And inside the cockpit, if you look at the SRX cars, which I feel like have performed very well on dirt, and everybody would say they have performed well on dirt, it's basically set up like a super late model where they have the package tray area kind of covering up a lot of the interior part of this. So all that dust and everything isn't just like flying everywhere in the car and all this. It's a little more contained. And I think that would be fine. So you would have a dirt truck and it would just be a little different on the interior. And it would be a little different with where we put the lead or no lead at all. Like I think you should basically just take all the lead out of it and, and go to a something like a 2,900 pound car. Okay, well, that's a lot of weight. And it's not just 500 pounds in one truck. 
it's 500 pounds in every truck yeah. going around the racetrack because that's what's packing this dirt down so tight. Take the windshields off of them. This is the same thing SRX did immediately. They saw this as a problem. They said, well, we're not going to run windshields. Have they had a problem? No. So it just seems like pretty practical solutions that they can do that could give the drivers better visibility, potentially put on a better race. And by limiting the field, we're not going to be packing down that dirt quite as tight with eight extra trucks running around on it. And make these segments, caution laps do not count on the dirt races. We're not doing this. And we're going to do no more than about a 30-lap run. Yeah. We're just not going to do more than that. We're going to do about 25. I think a good idea would be 25 green flag laps. Basically make it, or, or even if you want to make it 30, right? If you want to do segments, which I understand we do segments in NASCAR racing, um, 30, 30, 40. It's a 100-lap feature where the caution flags don't count. And each time we get done with the stage, it is a not a five-minute break, not a whatever. It's a 15-minute break, and we're going to prep the track in between it. We're going to till it up, water it down, pack it again. Okay, come back out here and race. Because at the beginning of that race, when that track was really prepped well, we saw, RJ, the top line was coming in. The bottom line was coming in. It was putting on pretty good side-by-side -side racing, and guys could move around a little bit. But by the end of the race, it was just everybody jammed down around the bottom. The dirt so tight pack it's taking rubber it, it kind of looked like that bristol deal that we had earlier in the year i don't necessarily think that's the best case for this and if there's some things that we can do procedurally by changing the rules package there for these dirt events we, we want to have dirt events i'm cool with it i think the truck people for the most part are cool with it i don't think they like not getting paid very well and destroying their truck every time they go to a dirt race. But I think if we could potentially cut the field size, well, now the purse money is going to go up on a per truck basis, slightly, slightly. It's not going to go up a lot. But it's going to go up slightly. And then you would also change the interior, change the windshield stuff. That's going to make it more driver friendly, team friendly there. Um, and I think the track prep and the way that we run the stages could be different. I think all those things would make things better. You look at how that race played out on Friday night in Iowa, 40 laps was the minimum stage length. That was the minimum stage length. Uh, I think the double file restarts on the dirt, also probably not a great idea, right? We saw in Bristol uh, in the cup race, they went to single file restarts. I think that's probably just what it needs to be on these dirt races. I understand we do double file restarts, but what we need to understand as NASCAR, this is a completely different type of racing that we are doing on a dirt track compared to what we're doing at Bristol. It's just different. And so we need to just be willing to say, hey, it is different. You're already making teams create dirt trucks. It's not gonna be that big of a difference to redo the package tray and redo the, the lead rails in a truck and get them off the ground a little bit more and, and potentially put on a better show for everybody. Because I, I guess what I'm looking at here, RJ, is I'm going, man, it sure looks like SRX did this a lot better than us. And we got a lot of smart people in NASCAR, like a lot. So I know we can do it. 
but their cars way less and they were more adaptable with the interior and with the way that the track was prepped and the stage links and kind of like doing that and it put on a better show yeah um a lot of people immediately went to you know like oh we shouldn't be here you know i mean which you can make an argument for but i think yeah, I we, we that. can we can be here we can, we be can be it's there. just amount it's just if you do it right and that's immediately what i was thinking i was like okay so we make these heats you know where we actually do eliminate part of the field i mean it sucks that we're sending people home but i just thought okay make the heats maybe a little bit longer maybe a, a few more laps you know so people can get some tv time and we cut the field right we cut it down to yeah like you said 32. Yeah, and it's not about less. sending people home at that point rj for like the show yeah it's about sending people home because we go yeah, this job is just good for the track like exactly. world of outlaws doesn't run that many cars around a stinking racetrack and they weigh half as much so they're not packing the dirt as tight and they're not running half as many cars as we're running so you just got to be practical about it yeah so a little bit more heat laps uh you know cut the field make the field smaller for the feature shorter feature and we can you know obviously keep the stages so in between we have intermissions go out there treat the track because when it started it was it was nice people were running the middle people were running all the way up top um the bottom and the grooves were changed a little bit but that was really only for like you know 15 laps and then it went away and it didn't seem like the track was treated really at all in between the race i don't think it was i mean at least they weren't showing coverage of it on tv i didn't hear of anything of it i think they were just leaving it how it was um and then yeah the double file restarts i know a lot of people brought up having a choose rule there maybe just to add some stuff if they did do double file restarts but if not then yeah just just go to single file um especially if if we have less trucks uh, which we should and, and i heard about the choose rule thing too which is hilarious to me so the choose rule they go well we can't do a choose rule because you know it's dirt we can't paint the v on there it's like yeah it's a cone yeah <laughs> that's what we it's call it <laughs> that's literally what it was it's a cone that's the whole idea was that you can pull it back it's like so we can definitely still do that yeah uh that that was the whole thing i mean we called it the choose cone while it was a v on the asphalt on a racetrack so that's what it was i guess we kind of forgot what uh it originally was so yeah we could definitely do a choose cone which is what they do that's what a lot of people were thinking are like are we not you know smart enough to just put a cone drag it back real quick i mean it's just I, right I so we, we're setting ourselves up and that's where I, I get irritated rj and that's when i say stuff like you know this is embarrassing because it's almost like you're setting yourself up to get made fun of in exactly. these situations and it's and it's no reason and as participants in this we look around and we're the ones that are getting the stuff thrown at us like we're getting made fun of <laughs> like going well i'm not doing that like i didn't choose to not be able to see through my windshield i'm just out here trying to make the best out of what i what i can you know i didn't choose to have a track that's so slicked over that i can't stop when i get out of the bottom roof like that's just bad for everybody and now we're totaling race cars and now that's on the teams to fix it and they're not getting paid very much money i go okay well i feel like we have a responsibility as a sport if we're going to look i understand like this is what we can pay i'm not even going to fight about that right now that's a whole other podcast but you're paying what you're paying i still think you have a responsibility to try to do the best job of creating a fair playing field for this and remember something remember something this was Knoxville's first time with these trucks on the surface 
What I'm saying is NASCAR, I haven't participated in this in so long. I feel like NASCAR, uh, Knoxville's track prep was probably pretty good. When I watched the, the heats and when I watched the way that race started off, but it's just the slow degradation of the track over time. There's things we can do as NASCAR procedurally to help with that. Exactly. So real quick, uh, we'll throw in our new, uh, new kind of area of the show, our driver's meeting uh, podcast sound bites. So I got a few, I got to talk with uh, Chandler Smith, Haley Deegan and Grant Enfinger, Grant Enfinger after the race about uh, what the track was like, how the race was when kind of their predictions and if they were right or wrong about what the track was going to do. So we'll take a listen. No, not at all. I think it's going to be one groove the whole race. And um, I told my spotter, I'm not making passes. I got past a few people and all, but um, I was trying to just get a good balance read on my truck and clean air and just focus on us and not trying to move around and stuff. I knew, I mean, to be fast here, it's just like Bristol, you're going to have to run the bottom all the way around. So that's what we really worked on. I don't think, um, I don't think it's going to be easy to pass, to be honest with you at all. So that was Chandler Smith pre-race on if there was going to be any passing or not. He was relatively correct. Uh, but next, I asked Haley Deegan uh, the night before the race on how the track prep would be and, and what she felt like it would transition to uh, from day to night as the race went on. No, I think they're going to re-prep it pretty good. I think the biggest curveball is going to be if it rains or not. Um, I think it just goes all to gun depend on if it starts raining tomorrow, if we get rained out for a little bit, he risks get canceled. I don't know. It just kind of just all depends on what happens throughout the night. But I have a feeling they're going to re-prep it if it doesn't rain too much, pretty good and similar to how it was at the start of practice. And lastly, we have post-race interview with Grant Enfinger describing how the track was, if he expected the outside lane to go away as quick as it did, and how overall the race was. Uh, no, it, it happened as expected, to, to be honest with you, from, from my standpoint. It, um, the fact that there was a second groove in the heat race surprised me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I expected it to, to be on the bottom, you know, just, just kind of momentum racing. Um, like I said, I, I kind of compared it on the radio with, with J-Rod to, to a Martinsville style race where kind of rooting those guys off the bottom. You, you couldn't pass a lap car. I mean, somebody could be two seconds off the pace. You, you're not going to pass them on the outside. So, um, you know, other than maybe a, a true dirt racer when the, you know, the first 10 or 15 laps of the race where there was a little bit of uh, grip up there. Um, so that's kind of how I expected, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad racing. It's just, you know, single groove like some of these uh, races are. Um, it's definitely, definitely exciting from my standpoint, uh, maybe a little, a little too exciting a few times. All right. So yeah, Grant Enfinger, uh, most notably after the race, talked to Grant Enfinger about, you know, how the track was going to be like. And basically, yeah, what he was saying there is he expected uh, the top lane to go away relatively quickly. It's going to be a bottom dominant racetrack. So, I mean, uh, the drivers, I mean, we heard them, whether it was on TV, whether it was right there, whether it was on Twitter um, about the race. So overall, I mean, we've kind of voiced our opinions. Do you think that uh, we can go back to Knoxville? Yeah, well, we're going. I think there was a four-year agreement with the track. Yeah. So we're, we're going back. Um, and, and talking to Moffitt about it, uh, when I talked to him there uh, at Atlanta, he said he enjoyed the fact that it was one groove at the bottom because it kind of raced like a short track. You're kind of driving there, bump somebody out of the way a little bit, get by them. So it didn't really run like a dirt track. Yeah. So That's kind of what we saw at Bristol. Exactly. So if we're, But what I would say to that is like, yeah, but we are running a dirt track. Yeah. <laughs> so do we not want it to race and look a little different 
than when we go to a normal short track, right? It's like, well, well then why wouldn't we just go run a short track? <laughs> yeah. That's, exactly. So if we want it to be different. I think we have to really encourage shorter stages and an emphasis on track preparation. Um, and here at Infinger Talk there, you know, you can expect it. It's probably going to be bottom dominant. What I would sit there and say is, okay, as the track and as NASCAR, how can we promote multiple grooves of racing, right? So this is something they do. Like we're going to New Hampshire this weekend. We're there's brand PJ one. The idea being we want to widen the groove out. We want to try to widen the track. We want multiple grooves of racing. The perfect NASCAR race in NASCAR's eyes is we got multiple grooves and cars are side by side racing the whole race. Yeah. That's what they want. So that's not what we got at Knoxville. And and we understand that some tracks are going to have different uh specialties and different ways you're going to have to race it. And we get that. I would just say there's probably things we can help from procedurally that, that would spread that out a bit more. Yeah. So my final thoughts on this really is like, you know, you have dirt racing was built on dirt, sports car racing, you know, other road course racing, but built on road courses, NASCAR, we were built on ovals. So I feel like with us doing all these different kind of things going on dirt, you know, we've done road courses for a while, but now we're doing a lot more of them it's becoming kind of a staple of the sport, especially with the next gen car coming out next year. We've talked about that as well. I feel like when we do these type of different types of things, we have to adopt, adapt to really what it is like road course racing. Everyone talks about how local yellows and, you know, managing that a little bit better. So we have a little less caution time and it's a little less hectic dirt racing. You know, we can't go out there for like a hundred straight laps, you know, and expect it to really work on a dirt track. You know, we have to, you know, like, like we were just talking about the, the heats, you know, have the heats kind of matter a little bit more as well, shorten the field, shorter feature, prep the track. It's not just going to work like a regular NASCAR oval. So that's kind of just my final thoughts on it. Uh, before we wrap up with the cup series um, that I just think with, when we do these different things, we just have to adapt to what it is. You can't carry the same thing we're doing at Kansas, um, you know, to Knoxville, you know what I mean? So that's, that's really my final thoughts. Yeah, And and that's not going to affect the enjoyability of the race. Exactly. And like, I find it really hilarious that anybody in a NASCAR office would sit there and go, Oh, well, look, we don't want to confuse the fans with procedure. I'm like, well, who came up with the all-star format? (laughs) (laughs) So you think a cone is going to, is going to be the thing like that's going to freak the fans out. Or like we think shortening the stages a bit or doing single file restarts on a dirt track. Oh, wow. Fans aren't going to be able to understand this. It's like, okay, the fans understand playoff points. Like we've got some complicated stuff that we do. that I think they're able to wrap their head around I think we should be a little more adaptable procedurally and rule book wise. And it's going to help put on a better show. It's going to be better for the teams, the drivers and the fans watching. Exactly. So we'll wrap up here quick with the cup series. Uh, we have, you know, the playoffs shaping up another new winner, Kurt Busch grabbing the win. So um, him being in the playoff picture while trying to point his way in, doesn't have to worry about that. He got the win. We have four spots remaining in the playoffs um, on points two, which are basically blocks Hamlin and Harvick. So that leaves two more that are almost 
locks again themselves. I mean, Austin Dillon's 104 over the cut. Reddick 96 over the cut. We've had so many, you know, crazy winners this season, like like McDowell and Christopher Bell, who would be on the cut line, but they got wins and locked themselves in the playoffs. So it's really getting to that point where we have five races left in the regular season where we finish it off at Daytona, two road courses in there as well. And pretty much everybody below the cut line is thinking right now um, that they got to go and win. You know, I'll be able to talk to Matty D later and see what on his thoughts uh, on what, you know, what they got to do there. 138 back. They're definitely going for a win. Chastain, Bubba Wallace, Stenhouse and Suarez had a bad week, which really put them in a must win situation. Chase Briscoe, Ryan Priest, Eric Jones, Ryan Newman, and then Eric Amarillo and Cole Custer, who have been in a must-win situation for basically ever, as they are way down there. Um, so, man, it is going to get exciting. Lots of must-win situations, and that's just going to make Daytona even more crazy, I'm pretty sure. Of course. And this is exactly how this was designed. Yep. <laughs> to put everybody in a must-win going to Daytona as the last wild card chance, right? And and props to NASCAR for that. That I will agree with has been a wonderful change to the schedule. The idea that Daytona is the last chance for everybody to make the playoffs in the Cup Series. Like it's a lot of fun to watch. And it's so many storylines going on all at once. Um, and everybody feels like they got a shot, right? So um, really cool. I think it's really neat, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. New Hampshire's not going to be that race. New Hampshire's not going to be that wild card race. Sorry, everybody. Like, I like watching the races in New Hampshire. I think it's cool. I think I like the track, but it's not going to be a wild card race. We're going to see the same people that are running up front run up front. Uh, but Daytona, which is looming, I think a lot of guys are looking at that knowing it's their last opportunity. And you know, you talk about the guys that are basically virtual point locks, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, which by this time in the year, we expected to, you know, have wins. And with Harvick not having a win, Hamlin not having a win, um, I mean, with Michigan coming up, especially Harvick won both races there last year. Hamlin, obviously, bunch of wins last year as well. And both of them have ran well at New Hampshire, which is coming up this weekend. So, do you, as far as a prediction, you know, we'll end off with a prediction. Do you think Kevin Harvick or Denny Hamlin win by Daytona? Who's got the better shot? Uh, with the way that Kyle has been running lately, you got to think Gibbs is probably a little bit more towards the forefront here, turning things around. Seems like Stuart Haas is struggling. And, and out of Rodney Childers' mouth, he said, yeah, this year is probably just going to be a struggle for us because we're not really – we're not really focused on this. Like there's, we're not putting the same resources into this that, that we did before. So I think you're looking at probably a limited version of Kevin Harvick. Now, is he still one of the best in the world? And he's going to find a way to get in these playoffs? Yeah. Winning a race, though, have they shown that level of speed? I think Denny Hamlin at times has. So if I was going to pick somebody, I look at a track like uh, New Hampshire where he has had success. I think this would be a good litmus test for that. Yeah, I think they'll have a great chance this weekend at New Hampshire doing something. I look at Brad Keselowski, who's the reigning winner there, to get some momentum, um, you know, to have a good race and 
yeah, like you said, it's really not going to be a wild card race. I think our contenders will be there at New Hampshire. You never know what the road course is with Glenn and Indianapolis, but that'll be after the break. So we'll get to that after. So um, Xfinity and Cup this weekend at New Hampshire, the SRX season finale is Saturday night at, at the fairgrounds. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch on CBS. You know, it's been, it's, it's felt like it's went by pretty quick, but I think it's, it's been great as far as the SRX. So, and then New Hampshire 44 crew, who, who you got in the car this week? Yeah, it's just it's just me. It's just your old guy here uh, in the forty four for you no, on the car. Yeah, you know, on the car. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I, see, I thought you were talking about driving the car. I was no, like, no, no, no. I didn't think I got <laughs> fired. Um, no, no. for playoffs. We've got, we've got AA and adjusters in the car this week, so we'll have that bright white and neon yellow uh, scheme up there in New Hampshire. And you know, this is one of the tracks we didn't get to race on last year, so we we didn't go to New Hampshire. I missed out on my lobster dinner. Uh, last year. And, and New Hampshire is a track that I have always really enjoyed going to. I got my first opportunity up there um, in the truck series in 2016, went back with BJ McLeod multiple years in a row uh, there. It's a place that I feel really comfortable racing and, and, and it races uh, like a big short track, really uh, super high entry speed, but you got to be good on the brakes. You got to be good at rolling through the corners there and, and passing is such at a premium. Uh, generally, it favors people that are pretty experienced in these race cars. So I can't wait. I, I personally like New Hampshire, especially the last few years. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Glad to see the Xfinity series back there as well. So they'll be racing three o'clock on NBCSN on Saturday. And then the cup series three o'clock on NBCSN on Sunday. And then the SRX season finale Saturday nights on CBS at Nashville fairgrounds. Chase Elliott will be in that race. My old stock rounds, Nashville fairgrounds hosting exactly. the championship Nashville. race. there. really cool. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how the area is and, and the track, the racing, because, you know, we're tr we're trying to get there. People know. So we'll see how it goes. So no trucks this weekend. And after Nash or after New Hampshire, it's the two-week break. So we'll definitely have a lot to unpack uh, as far as how New Hampshire goes and how, you know, we're looking going into the next few weeks. So hoping to get hoping to get a guy, Ray Everham, on this podcast. We almost had him on this week, had some scheduling conflicts. So hopefully we can get him on next week. Yeah, he might be a little busy with the conclusion of yeah, the FLX, but a little busy. He's going to be um, very happy to talk to us. Uh, once that's all over with. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we'll get him on here after this week, maybe to talk about the SRX finale or the next week, something like that. But we'll get something going. Hopefully everybody joins this weekend uh, at New Hampshire and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.